Happy New Year and welcome to the Church at Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. This week we begin a new two-part series entitled 2006, Are You Ready to Grow? Part 1. And today's message is brought to us by our lead pastor, Mike Yearly. Well, it's great to be with you. Uh, I, I always love these uh, first weekends of the year. You know, it's, um, it's, uh, it's just fun to be together and to look back on the past year and look ahead. But I'm kind of curious who I'm talking to today. Uh, how many of you were up to midnight last night? I want to see what I'm up against. Okay, good. Yeah, well, at least you slept in, right? So that's looking good. The last, uh, last service was pretty sad. Uh, for, yeah, I don't know. Those people, uh, they, they were here because they were supposed to be. I know. Um, and I really appreciate it because it would be hard to preach in an empty room. But uh, it's nice to have people actually awake. And so welcome. <laughs> welcome to the... Uh, I really do love this time of year because it's just such a natural time of year to look back and to say, what's God been doing in our lives this last year? What's he up to for the new year? Uh, What's he want to do? It's a time for um, kind of mid-course corrections, if you will, you know, where where we we need to go for this year. And uh, as we start this new year, we're going to do a a two-week series, this week and next week. And I'm going to ask the question, um, 2006, are you ready to grow? Um, the, The reality is, is that... God is going to come to each one of us in this room throughout this year at a variety of times, a variety of ways. It may be through his word. It may be through um, a sermon. It may be through a friend. It could be through a new relationship. It could be a variety of ways. But God is going to show up at certain times this year, and he's going to offer you a chance to do something new in your life. Um, he's going to offer you the chance to grow. But whether you grow or not is not automatic. It depends on how you respond to those opportunities when God shows up. And so this week and next, I want to take a couple weeks and just run through some questions. I've got seven questions. We're going to look at three this week, four next week. Are you ready to grow this year? Now, if you look at your note sheet, you'll see there that the first question, there's sort of a blank in front of it. And that's because um, I want you to actually grade yourself on each of these questions. Okay, so after we go through them... I want you to look and say, okay, so how would you grade yourself? Would you give yourself like an A or, you know, a B or like your D for deficient or, you know, whatever. But um, how would you grade yourself? And I realize this could be a little threatening, especially if you're sitting next to someone, you don't want them to see your score, all right? So um, don't feel a need to write down the grade today. You could just think it in your brain if you want. Um, but, but this week, I'd like you to get alone with God. Spend some time alone with God and go over these three questions as we're kicking out this new year and actually say, okay, well, how am I doing in that area? So, so let's jump in. Today we're looking at the first three, all right? So here's question number one. Uh, first question is, are you ready for change? Are you ready to change this year? Now let's talk about this a little bit. You know, in Christian circles, we talk a lot about growth, don't we? We always say, like, are you growing? Have you grown? Uh, what's, what's God doing in your life uh, recently? And, and we talk about spiritual growth and all, but sometimes we miss the obvious. And here's the obvious. The obvious is that growth means change. You know, so, so if you're not changing, guess what? You're not growing, right? You remember when you were a kid? I don't know if you do this in your house, but maybe you, like every year you'd measure how far you'd grown the next school year. You'd have your kids, or you, you remember doing these stand up, and, and you kind of, you know, mark it off. And so you could see that whether you grew or not. Well, whether you grew or not meant, did your height change, right? It, it, like you couldn't say like, oh, it's the same as last year, but you've really grown. No, you know, unless it's growing the wrong way, you know, I mean, 
It's like some of us older now, we understand that kind of growth. You know, we stand in front of the, the, the you know, it's like, well, am I whiter? You know what? Uh, but growth means change. If we're not changing, we're not growing. It's like if I asked you, how have you changed this last year? What would you tell me? Could you point to areas of your life and say, hey, you know, I'm different than I was a year ago. Here are three areas. I'm different. Is that happening? See, if, it's not, if we're not changing, we're not growing. So his first question is, are you ready for change this year? The Apostle Paul had a special word for change. It's one of my favorite words in the Greek. It translates into English. We recognize it in English. It's, it's the word metamorphosis. Uh, you, you remember that word? It's like from biology days. It's how a tadpole becomes a frog, right? It's how a caterpillar becomes a butterfly, right? It's a change process. I mean, just think of it. You know, you wake up one day, you're a tadpole. And all of a sudden, you think you have your life all I'll figure it out. You're going to be swimming the rest of your life. You've got your pond. You've got your food. You think you've got it wired. And all of a sudden, one day, you start growing new things. No limbs, you know? You you turn into something else. You turn out that you're going to be a frog. Your plan for your life is very different than what you thought it was going to be. One day, you're a caterpillar. You're just crawling along. The branches of life. You're eating your way through. You think you have it wired. And all of a sudden, one day, you turn into this cocoon thing, and then you come out a butterfly. You see, many times in life, we think we understand what life is about. We think we understand what our, God's plan for our life is, and all of a sudden, he comes in this transformation, this metamorphosis comes along. The Greek word is the word metamorpho-o. Isn't that great? That God is always metamorpho-oing us. We're, we're in this... Change from the moment you gave your life to Christ, you are in a transformation process. Now we can either cooperate or we can resist, but you are being metamorphosed even as we sit here today. Now I want you to look at at least one of the places the Apostle Paul talks uses this word. It's in your Bible, book of Romans, chapter twelve. Now, if you're a, a longtime believer, you're going to be familiar with this verse, but you probably didn't know it was metamorpho. Uh, if you're brand new at this, uh, the book of Romans is to the right in your Bible. Chapter 12 and verse 2. <clears throat> Paul says, he's, remember he's writing to new Christians here, and he says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. In other words, this world, it has a way of doing life. It's kind of a tadpole way of existence. Okay? It's a caterpillar approach to life. And he says, God is up to... Uh, something new in your life, you're going to have to leave the old way of life uh, behind. The way you used to do relationships, the, the way you used to kind of handle your finances, um, the way you used to parent your kids, it's like, you know, there's kind of a way of the world. It's the way they do it. And so he says, you need to change that. Don't be conformed to that. Don't follow that, that pattern. He says, but instead, be transformed. Now, that you might want to underline that that's our word, metamorpho. Be transformed. Leave the life of a tadpole. Move into the world of a frog. See? He says, there's something new. God is up to something new. Be transformed. And notice how it happens. By the renewing of your mind. If you are going to be transformed this year on God's schedule, kind of His scheduled transformation for you in 2006, 
you're going to have to change the way you think in certain areas. There might be certain priorities. There might be um, certain opinions. I love this one. It's amazing how, um, how connected and attached we can be to our opinions, isn't it? And do you realize there's some things that you've thought your whole life that you're absolutely wrong on and God wants to change your mind this year? Something that you've, you've just thought, you've, you've just been right your whole life. You've had it right. And the rest of the world's wrong. You're right. And this is the year God's going to metamorpho that opinion. It's going to be changed. You're going to move from being a tadpole in that area of your life to a frog. This is it. And so he says, be transformed by the renewing, the changing of your mind. And he says, when that happens, you will be able to test and approve. I like the word experience. It's a hard word, Greek word to translate. To test and approve what God's will is. You'll begin to experience God's will for your life. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see, God has a plan for your life in 2006. It's good, it's perfect, and it's pleasing. But for, in order for you to experience that plan, you're going to have to be metamorphosed. You're going to have to go through a metamorphosis. You're going to have to change. If you want to stay on target for God's plan for your life, this year, you're going to have to change. Now, the great news about this is we're not on our own in this process. There in your note sheet, look at Romans 12 too. This is the New Living Translation. I like the way it puts it. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. See, we're not on our own. Let God do it. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. It's going to require change. And then you will know what God wants you to do, and you will know how good and pleasing and perfect His will for your life really is. See? So I love this. Now, you see, the great thing about being a Christian is when it comes to the transformation process, we are not on our own. We don't have to think it up. You don't even have to figure out what's wrong with you. You don't have to figure out how to change. You don't have to, fig- you don't have to figure it out because God has a plan. Now, if, if you're like a Buddhist, you're pretty much on your own. You know? If you're kind of Hindu, you're pretty much on your own. But the great thing about being a Christian is that you're not on your own. That God is orchestrating this metamorpho process. You know, the one who designed and created tadpoles to become frogs, the one who created caterpillars to become butterflies is the same God who's at work in your life to transform you. He's got a vision for your life. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Remember Paul writing to these new Christians, he says, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you. Now, who would that be? Okay, take two, all right? I know it's early, you know, it's a new year, but this is your part to chime in, all right? So, so he who began a good work in you, who would that be? Yeah, God, you know, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, the triune God. It says God is at work in your life. He, he began the good work in your life. And look at this, it says that, He not only began it, 
but he will carry it on to completion until the day Jesus comes back. You see? See, God is up to something in your life in the year 2006. He's on the move. You saw the, the movie. You know, Aslan's on the move. Right? He's on the move in your life. He has a plan for your life. He began the good work. He is continuing the good work. You don't have to figure it out. But you do have to cooperate. We do have to cooperate. And what does that look like? What does it mean to cooperate with this plan God has? Well, I think it means a lot of things. We'll talk about some in just a minute. But one thing it means is it means just being flat out honest when God's on the move. When he starts surfacing an area of our life that we need to change this year. Whether you change or not, the first decision you're going to have to make is whether you're going to be honest about that. Have you seen on those, uh, you know, movies where like, you know, the Russian MiGs are coming in or whatever, and you have those radar screens, and, and you know, so you can see like when a blip starts coming in, a, a, you know, danger's coming in, and there's like a blip out here. So on the very, the very edge of the radar, right? A little green dot usually, and the thing's going around, deep, deep, and it's just really faint, kind of in a distance. Well, you know, when God begins to work in our life, um, he begins to surface an issue that he wants to work on. That's how it comes. It comes like a distant blip on the screen. It just begins to surface this issue. Uh, let, let's say, for example, that like, like you're a dad and, uh, and, and he, God wants to help you grow as a father this year. And so he just begins to surface this awareness that maybe you're not being the dad you need to be. And so the Holy Spirit's talking, it's talking, it could be your wife, one or two, but sometimes they're one and the same, exactly, they could be, yeah, sometimes, yeah. And, and, so, and so all of a sudden, this blip begins to come up, this awareness on your screen that maybe you're not being the dad you need to be. And this is how change usually happens, is that God begins to surface on the radar of our life at the outskirts of our consciousness, a need for change. Now, when that happens, we have a choice. We can either ignore that blip on the spiritual radar of our life and say, no, I don't think so. I think I've got it wired. Or we can turn to God and say, can we talk about this? I don't know if this is me or you, but am I doing this dad thing okay? Uh, Do I need to make any changes here, you see? The first step to change is us coming to a place where we're willing to be honest about, huh, do I need to change in this area? Isn't that true? And this is where we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. I read a really interesting book. It was written a few years ago. Um, If you're in the business world, you're familiar with this book. Um, It's very popular. It's one of the top business books the last few years. And it's called From Good to Great. It's it's a book that was written by uh, Jim Collins. Jim used to be one of the top professors in the business school at Stanford University. And then he wrote a, a very famous book about 10 years ago called Built to Last, about great companies and what makes them great. And, uh, and then he became a, a major consultant and one of the most respected business leaders in our nation. And then he wrote another book a few years later called From Good to Great. And the question in that book was not just what makes a great company, but how does a good company become a great company? And he did this amazing research. He had 15 research assistants, something like that. They spent years searching this thing out. And, and said, what is it that allows a good company to become a great company. Very few companies ever make that transition. So what does it take 
And they came up with six conclusions. Here's, some, here's like six characteristics of, of great companies. We're going to talk about all of them. But let me just talk about one of them, okay? He said one of the, the marks that they found out is that companies that go from good to great, they're able, they, they have this approach to their business that they want to be, he, he used the term brutal facts. They, they, they're willing to look at the brutal facts about their business. They're willing to ask the tough questions. They're willing to say, where are we winning? Where are we losing? What's, what's working well? What isn't working well? And just be really brutally honest, even when it's painful as a company to face that. And so that's what they did on the one side. On the other side of that, though, is that they did that without ever losing hope. They did that with, always with a sense of, you know, if we're honest about where we are, we think we can change things. We think we can turn it around. And so they said they, they have this characteristic of brutal honesty and yet amazing hope. And I read that. I began to think, yeah, that's true. That's true not only of businesses. That's true not only of churches. That's true of people. You look at people that go from good to great, People that move from good to great in their life, people that go from bad to good, people like that are people who are willing to be really honest when the Holy Spirit starts surfacing an issue in our life and the radar begins to blink. Instead of saying, oh no, I got that covered and being afraid of change, there are people that are willing to look at the scary little blip on the screen and say, what is that about? Is that God? Is God trying to raise something in my life? And, and they can do that because they understand that the Holy Spirit is in them and he's supervising this whole change process and that God is at work within them. And so they're not afraid, or they might be afraid, but they have the courage enough to look at what they need to change because they realize they're not on their own. You see? So many times we're afraid to look at that area of change because we don't have a solution and we think we're in it alone. We're afraid to say, hey, I'm not being a good dad because the reality is we have, don't have a clue how to be a good dad. And we're afraid to face that because we think we're in it alone. And once we realize, no, the one who's surfacing that is God. God's raising that blip on the screen. He wants to teach you how to be a good dad. We have the hope that we're able to say, okay, all right, let me be honest about this. God, I don't have a clue how to be a better dad, but if you're raising this, I'm willing to look at this, you see? Now, it's for every area of our life. So, as we go into 2006, let me ask you some questions. Are, are you ready to change? Let me give some illustrations, some things that God may want to change in you this year. Now, he's got an agenda for your life, so it's not like you change it all at once. You just change what he's bringing up on your screen, okay? So you, you, don't, you don't have to come up with a plan. You don't have to figure out, like, okay, this is what it is, these 18 things. No, God has a plan, you see? I'm just saying we just need to be ready to run with him. So, for example, maybe there's attitudes you need to change. We talked about opinions. Maybe there's certain priorities. Maybe there's an area of your character. You know, God's going to surface. Hey, you gossip. Hey, you, you, you've, you've called it prayer requests. It's not. It's gossip. You've got a negative attitude. You've never thought of it that way. You've thought of yourself as being discriminating. You tell off-color jokes. You've always thought of them as just mature in content. Now, the Holy Spirit starts surfacing. Hey, here's an area we're going to work on this year. He's got the agenda. It could be in your marriage. It could be in your parenting. It could be in your job, your career. It could be this year God's calling you to move someplace. He could be calling you to reach out a new ministry. It could be an area of sexual purity. It could be a million things. 
But the cool thing is, you don't have to figure it out. You just have to be ready to respond. Are you ready to change? Are you ready to, to kind of just be honest about the radar blips that he races in your life? Okay. I guarantee you, he's out to change you this year. He is out to metamorph, uh, metamorphose you this year. I guarantee it. It's just what he does. You know, it's just, God is just in the change business. He, he just cannot leave well enough alone. You know, well, he can leave well enough alone. He can't leave us alone. All right, number two. Okay, number two. Do you have a plan for growth? You know, I, okay, you're open to change, you're open to growth, but do you have a plan for growth? And don't forget to grade yourself on number one, unless you're uncomfortable with that. Save it for later. But number two, do you have a plan for growth? I think if, we, if I were to ask most of you, we could sit down at Starbucks, just the two of us, and you were to trust me with your heart, and we were just to have an honest conversation, and I would say, hey, do you want to grow this year? My hunch is that 99% of us here would say, yeah, yeah, I want to grow. Um, I don't want to be the same as last year. I don't want to repeat 2005. I don't want to be stagnant. Yeah, I want to change. I want to grow. Absolutely, I do. And so if I, then my next question would be, well, so what's your plan? My experience is most people kind of get that deer in the headlights look. Uh, plan. Plan? Plan for growth. Uh, don't know. I think I'll keep coming to church. You know, it's, I just never really thought of it. But you know, here's my experience, is that most of us grow better with a plan than without a plan. <laughs> let, me, here, let me throw Most of us grow better by design than by default. It's, so what's your plan? Now, the good news is, you know, we're not on our own e- here either. Um, that when the Holy Spirit begins surfaces an area in our life, he wants us to change. He doesn't just say, you figure it out. He usually gives us steps to take, all right? He gives us specific action steps that we take to become part of our plan. I want you to uh, take your Bibles. Let's go back to Philippians again. Let's go on to chapter 2. It's kind of interesting. Day. We're going to look at Philippians 1, 2, and 3 today. It's going to work out that way. Now, we've already seen in Philippians chapter 1 that God starts a work in our life and that he is continuing the work. He's at work in your life. Now, Paul's going to give us a little bit more information about this process in chapter 2. In chapter 2 and verse 12, remember Paul had been there in Philippi. He'd planted the church. He'd been one of their leaders. Now he's away. He's writing them a letter. And so that explains chapter 2.12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed. In other words, when I was with you as your leader, you were obeying the Lord's leading. He said, now, not only in my presence, when I was with you, in other words, but now much more in my absence. I'm away, I'm writing back. I want you to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, I want you to underline that word, work out. Actually, it's two words. Underline those words, work out. We'll come back to that. But I want you to catch that in this salvation process that we're involved with, where God is changing us, we're moving from tadpoles to frogs, in this metamorpho process, there is a part that we have to play. There's a part that God plays, there's a part that we have to play. He says we're going to have to work out our salvation. We're going to have to participate in this process. But look what he says next in verse 13. Because it is God who works in you to do two things. So as God's active in your life, he's going to do two things. Number one, to will. And number two, to act according 
to his good purpose. God has a plan for your life. He's got a purpose for your life. And he's actively at work in your life to do two things. To download his will and to download his action into your life. Now those, those words are interesting words. In the Greek, the first word to will has to do with, you know, like my will, my wishes, my desires. What it's saying is that God is actively involved in your life and my life downloading his will, his desire. When that radar uh, blip comes up on the screen, that's not something you're creating. It's God downloading something new. He's making a Have you ever experienced this in your life? When God wants you to grow in an area, it, it just it kind of starts highlighting an issue. You know, it's like you go to your life group and something's said there, boom, you know, that kind of hits you. And, and then you're listening on the radio and something hits you there and then you hear a sermon, something hits you there and and God is kind of highlighting an issue. And as he highlights an issue, yes, there's often fear because it involves change, right? And so let's go back to the dad illustration. It's scary because maybe you don't know how to be a better dad or you don't want to, make, you want to look at that issue. You're not sure how you're going to fit in your schedule or whatever the deal is. And so, yes, there's some fear with it, but isn't there also inside of you when that begins to happen, isn't there a hunger to be a better dad? God begins to awaken in you. Man, I, I don't want to go through my life and do parenting like my folks did parenting. I, I don't want to go through my life and, and have my kids grow up and have us be strangers. I, I don't want them to grow up and be in their teenage years and have no emotional connection with them because I didn't really invest the time. And so there begins to be a hunger in your heart to be a better dad, doesn't there? And so there's this fear of change, but there's also a hunger to be something new, to be something different. What is that? That's God downloading his will into your life and his wishes. God is at work in your life to, 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 um, to will, to place his will into you. That's part of the change process. But he says also, and to act. God is at work in you both to will and to act. The word act is the word energeo. We get our word energy from that. In other words, God is at work not only to download his will, but to energize you and enable you to change. See, God supernaturally indwells us by his spirit. And when he wants to change us, he doesn't just tell us what to do. He empowers us to do it. He puts a new hunger to grow, but he gives us the ability to change. So he says, God's at work in your life. He's at work in my life this year. And there's going to be things that he surfaces on the radar. Okay, blip, blip, blip. We see the area. We, it's going to be a little scary, but if we're open to change, he's going to, he's going to make us hungry to grow. And he's going to begin, yes, I want to be that. And he's going to give us the power to do that. Okay, that's what he's going to do. Now, let's go back to verse 12. So God's at work in our life to put his will, to put his action into our life. But it says in verse 12 that we have to work it out, right? Work out your salvation. It's like this. We have to work out what God is working in. You see? There's always action steps involved. God begins to put a a desire in your heart for a new kind of relationship in your marriage, there's something that he's going to ask you to do to work that out. Let me give you some examples. Let's go back to the dad example. So God's putting in your heart this year to be a better dad and to grow in that. Your wife's been talking to you about it. The Holy Spirit's been talking to you about it. 
you realize you've been sort of disengaged. You're all into your career and your job, and, and you're into maybe whatever else, you know, working out. And I'm trying to think what my wife told me. Um, and so, okay, and so you kind of get the picture. And so you realize you're kind of disengaged. By, by the way, this is a sidelight here. Just, guys, you do realize that your wife is also often is kind of the relationship monitor of your life. You know, if you're married, like, typically wives have just a better sense of how relationships are going in our life. And so they'll, they'll often, they'll be the first to kind of realize that, that, you know, the marriage is not really what it's supposed to be or, you know, the parenting is not what it's supposed to be. And, and guys, one of the smartest things we can do is recognize that God has gifted them uniquely to pick up on these things and to really pay attention. You know, that's one of God's greatest gifts to us as husbands, as leaders of our family. He's given us these relationship sensors. You know, think of them like, you know, like the lights on the dashboard of your life. Right? Okay. Okay, that's enough for that. All right. So, okay, so you're, so you're, you're recognizing you're sort of disengaged from your kids and, and your priorities are probably wrong and you need to, need to change. Okay, that's great. The Holy Spirit's raising that up. Now, the question is, what's your plan for growth this year in 2006? Because you have a desire to grow. That doesn't really amount to anything. It doesn't, it doesn't amount to anything until we take steps. We have an action plan. What are we going to do? So let me give you some examples. Maybe you have younger kids, and so you decide, we're going to have a family night once a week. Now, I wouldn't recommend this with teenagers, okay? <laughs> Just trust me, it's going to go worse. But y- your kids are young, they still like you. Go with them, you know? Okay, you build into them now. Secret of great parenting, build into your kids' life. They're young, and they still like you, all right? Okay, that's for another sermon. Anyway... So maybe it's a family night. Maybe it's, uh, you, you need to go down and you buy a good book on, on being a, a, a father. And then you're going to discuss it with your wife or your buddy or your, some friends. And you're going to actually work through that and kind of do some self-evaluation. Uh, maybe um, it's going to be that you take three guys, one at a time. You pick three guys that you really rec- you just really admire the way they parent their, their, their kids. And you're going to take them out to Starbucks. You say, can we just spend an hour together and tell me what you've learned? I, I love the way your kids came out. I love the way you've handled this. You know, I respect you. Can you t- what would you tell me as a young dad? What, how would you, what advice would you give? Maybe that's part of your plan, you see. You see, now we're getting somewhere, right? Now we're, now we're going to begin to change because we have a plan to change. I remember when our kids were young, um, we came up with something. I don't know who came up with this or how we came up with it, but it was called the Big Fun Thing. Um, pretty creative title, I admit. Uh, I'd change it, except it's just the truth. Um, my kids were young. I was working, you know, full-time as a pastor, so, you know, that's 55, 60, 65 hours a week. I mean, it was, it was you know, a busy time. On top of that, I was working on my master's program, and so going to school half-time. And so I was really busy time. And, and one of the things, I just wanted to stay connected with my young kids, and they were probably elementary age or, you know, kind of young elementary age. And so one of the things that we came up with Part of our plan was to do a big fun thing. And every Saturday, um, we would figure out earlier in the week, what's our big fun thing to do with the kids? And we'd let them be a part of this. And so, you know, it might be something simple. I mean, they're young. It's so much easier when they're young. But, um, you know, it's like Dairy Queen. We go get a blizzard. That's going to be our big fun thing. We're going to go to the park and fly kites. We're going to go to a a local reserve. I'm going to go on a hike. 
We're going to go out for pizza. We're going to get a movie and watch it together. But we would decide each week, what is our big fun thing? And you know, I can't tell you how important that was for our family. Because it was part of our plan, you see. It was part of our plan. And we all thought it up together and we picked it together and then we spent that time together. And during those really crazy years, that was so important for us as a family, you see. Your marriage. How's your marriage doing? Your marriage, you know, our marriage is one of the most important things about us. If you're married, you know, we need to protect and treasure our marriages. If your marriage is not going well, or it's just, it's okay right now, but it just, it could be better. And God's putting it on your heart that you, to change this. That blip is getting louder. What are you going to do? Is, it, is your marriage going to be better a year from now, or is it going to be worse? I'll tell you something. If you don't have a plan, good chance it's going to be worse. Often we just have to, so what's it look like? Well, some of you are probably headed for a brick wall right now. It's like your marriage is in serious trouble. You know it. Your spouse knows it. Probably your friends know it. And you're just hanging on for dear life. Well, what's your plan? You need to get into some counseling. You need some outside help. Are you going to do it? You say, well, it's expensive. It takes a lot of time. Can I tell you something? Divorce is a lot more expensive. And it takes a lot more time. And it never goes away. And so, let's get serious about this. Uh, maybe your marriage is okay and it needs to be better. You know, we've got a marriage conference coming up in February. A love and Respect Conference. You know, it'd be a great tune-up time. Go to the marriage conference and then see what you learn there. And then take a next step. Guys, it's awesome. It's right before Valentine's Day, you know? You can kind of call it the gift, you know? Whatever. You see? What are you going to do? A spiritual life. You want to get closer to God this year. You want to be God's man. You want to be God's woman. You want to grow His way. Okay, so what are you going to do? What's your plan? Are you going to join a life group? Are you going to pick up one of these life journals and read through that? Are you going to find a new area of ministry and start serving? Are you going to go on a missions trip? What are you going to do? What's your plan, you see? Now, here's what I want you to catch. It's not up to you to figure this out. The Holy Spirit this year is going to raise on the radar of your life an area. And as you pray, what do you want me to do? You watch what the steps are. You watch what it is. But what I'm saying is that there has to be some steps. You know, uh, next, next in a couple of weeks, we're going to start a new series. And uh, it's in the book of Proverbs. And it talks about the importance of planning. Uh, or, or not the series, but the, I put a couple of verses there on your note sheet. Talk about the importance of planning. Before we do that, look at the, there on your note sheet. It says two essentials of an effective plan. Let's fill in the blanks and we'll look at the Proverbs. Okay, so how do you know if you've got a good plan? Number one, the first, first blank is a what. Um, every plan has to have a what. And that means what specific steps will you take? And then every good plan has a when. When will you take them? So when I say, do you have a plan for growth? That's what I want to know. And what specific steps are you going to take this year? And when are you going to take them? Are they on the calendar? Are they on your day timer? On your Blackberry? Are they, are, they, are they set? Because until you have a when and a what, we don't have a plan, right? We just have a good idea. And as has been said, every person who's ever taken a shower has had a good idea. It's the people who get out of the shower and put it on the calendar. See, they go on to win. All right. There's a couple Proverbs there. The series we're going to be doing is called The Power of Perspective. 
I'm really looking forward to it. I love the book of Proverbs. So practical. But we'll get a little head start on it today. Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead to profit. In other words, if you want to be profitable life, you want to live a successful life, he says you've got to have a plan and then you've got to work the plan. You've got to be diligent with it, right? Number two, Second proverb, Proverbs 16.3, commit to the Lord whatever you do and your plans will succeed. He says, you want to be successful in life? He says, commit your life to God. I want to do this for you. And he says, and, and then work your plan. You know, and God will bless your plan. God can't bless something you're not doing, right? And so work the plan. All right, number three. This third, third question is really different than the first two. The first two questions focus on the future. Are you ready to change? Do you have a plan? It's all future focused. But the reality is, if we want to move into God's preferred future, we have to at times deal with the past. And so this third question goes like this. Are you ready to let go of the past? Let's talk about this. One of the things that can hold us down and keep us from moving into God's preferred future for us is the past. The past, unresolved past issues. They can be like a millstone around our neck that keeps us from moving forward. Uh, sometimes, for example, you may be a person that as you look at your life, you say, you know, I've just messed up so big time in my life. I don't really believe that I deserve a future. I don't think that I, I don't really deserve a, a future that God's blessing me with. I, I really don't think I'm the kind of person. I know a lot of Christians are like this. They feel like, you know what, be, because of what I've done and the way I've blown it and all the stupid things I've done, I think God's going to let me in and let me sit in the back row, kind of be a second class citizen, but I don't really believe that God could ever really use me. I don't really believe that I can be one of those people that really get close with God, that experience his power and presence in my life, because if you knew what I'd done, Sometimes it can be not so much that, but it's just like past failures. You know, sometimes the past dogs us. We don't even want to try this again because we tried it. We tried doing this ministry thing one time. We tried doing marriage one time. We tried doing parenting one time. We tried, and we've had the, so much failure, we're afraid to try again. We're, we'd rather do nothing and be successful than try something and fail. And so the past can dog us, can it? There in your note sheet, Jack Hayford used to pastor a little church here in the valley. He says, the past is a dead issue. We can't gain any momentum moving toward tomorrow if we're dragging the past behind us. You know, some of you are doing that. Some of you are writing this way. You are dragging the past. There is something that happened in 1987. There is something that happened in 1949. There is something that happened in 1999. There's something that happened in 2005 that's causing you to feel like God can never work in your life again or He can never work at full speed. Bob Buford wrote the book Halftime. He says, regret is a tough emotion to live down. It haunts you in ways that will sap your strength and inspiration to go on to better things. Isn't that true? Man, if you've ever done something really stupid, you understand this. I mean, regret is one of the most painful emotions in life. It's one of those painful places to be. And when we live our life in the land of regret, we cannot live, we cannot move forward into the future God has for us. We have to move out of the land of regret. We've got to leave the past behind. And it's not an easy thing to do. 
There's a couple lessons we got to learn. No, you know, number one, the first one's kind of corny, but just go with it. Number one is we need to learn to embrace grace. The concept's not corny, it's just embrace grace. This one's kind of corny. We've got to learn to embrace grace. And this is not easy to do. We're so wired to, um, to, to kind of connect that if we've done it all right, then God's worth, he'll bless us. If, we, if we've not done it all right, then it's a little bit touch and go, you know. It's just so hard. Isn't it hard to embrace grace in your life and forgive it? I, I struggle with this. It's like as much as I've learned about God's grace and forgiveness and goodness when I don't deserve it, I still struggle with this. It, it's a hard thing to embrace grace, isn't it? it you know, re, you realize that many times God is like so far ready to move on that like it's an old issue and we're just like still bringing it up. He's like, hey, could you just leave that alone? I've got new things I want to do in your life. It's just so hard. I, I was reading yesterday, woke up early, I was reading Psalm 32. And Psalm about David, it's not on your note sheet, by the way, so if you need to embrace grace, write down Psalm 32, you can read it this week. But it's a story, it's David's life, and it's a time when he's really blown it big time. We don't know what he did, but he's really blown it big time, and, but he's trying to pretend he didn't. You ever been there? You know? Oh, no, no. No, it, that wasn't really a mistake, you know? Um, it, it, you know, in the light of time, I'm sure I'll be vindicated. And you know, we're just trying to pretend there's not an issue. And God's just not having it, so God's all over him. Just kind of, you know, pressuring him, you know, deal with this. And he's trying to re- pretend, and finally he can't take it anymore. He just gives up. He says, oh, man, you're right. I'm wrong. I just blew it a big time. And so what does God do? You know, it's God say, you know, I can't believe you did that. You know, you've got to be kidding me, David. After all I've done for you, your king and everything. Remember the Goliath deal? Where would you be without me? You know? Oh, no, no, no. God's just like, that's cool, Dad. That's just awesome. Glad, you, glad you're telling the truth. You ready to move on now? Just, it's like there's not one word of I can't believe. It's all about this like, in fact, God says, great, David. Um, okay, now, I, I promise I'll lead you. I'll guide you. I'll be with you. Just don't do that again. Just don't be like that horse that needs to be kind of directed by a bridle, you know? Let's just kind of stick with me and... And like God's all upbeat. He's all positive. He's like, I'm ready to lead your life again. Isn't that awesome? And yet so many times we're like, no, no, God, I need to do my penance here. Let's check back about 15 years after I beat myself a bit. Uh, you know. The second lesson we have to learn is we have to learn from the past. Now, honestly, this is very hard to do if we don't embrace grace. Because if we don't embrace grace, we're so busy feeling bad about the past, we can't really learn the lessons from it and move on. But if we learn to embrace grace, we're able to really take the lessons we learn from our failure, and believe it or not, God can use those lessons to create an amazing future. You know, one of the things I love most about God is He can take even our sin and work it out for good. Now, that's pretty creative. Not that there aren't consequences, don't, you know, I'm not trying to be light on this or whatever, but it's just amazing to me that God can take even our sin and once we turn around and repent, he can actually weave that in to his plan for good. And here's what I, I found in my life, see if it's not true for you, is that many times the greatest lessons of your life come through failure. And in fact, can I tell you this, that the way God is going to use you in other people's lives the most powerfully as as often is not as, as much through your failures as through your victories. And so we got to learn from the past. Now, one of the guys in the Bible who just really got this was the Apostle Paul. 
And, and I understand, we think of the Apostle Paul as such a winner. You know, we think of, you know, there's, see, there's the Father, the Son, the Spirit, and then there's Paul, you know. And we think of him that way, but what we often forget is what a loser he was. You know, and it's not just us, it's not like just me saying that. This is what Paul said about himself. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy. It's to the right in your Bible, uh, towards the back of the New Testament. 1 Timothy chapter 1. I want you to see this for yourself. Verse 15. Here's a trustworthy statement saying that deserves full acceptance. So much Paul says, here's something you can take to the bank. Bank on this. this what I'm about to tell you, it, it's like the gold standard spiritually. You can trust what I'm about to tell you. It's full acceptance. Uh, just absolutely take it to the bank. He says, here, Christ Jesus came into the world, um, and here's why, to save sinners. Now, we need to think in terms of sinners means like losers, okay? Failures, right? Uh, that's what the word means. People who miss the mark, get off track, fall short. Okay. He says, but then he says this, of whom I am the worst. Now, now let's be honest here. <laughs> it, I mean, if he hadn't said this, would any of us think of like, okay, the worst sinner of all time, Apostle Paul? <laughs> We're like, no. And honestly, I think when we read this, we just go, oh, Paul. You know, you're such a, it's like that's pastor speak, you know? You know, it's, that's like what pastors are supposed to say, you know, you just kind of say the right thing, and oh, you're so humble, you know. Oh, that Paul, isn't he precious? You know, he's the worst of all sinners. <laughs> Don't we read it that way? It's like, it's like, ah, oh, knock it off. You're so cute, you know. No, no, no. No, no, he meant it. Now, let me tell you why. Let's go back to verse 12, 13, verse 13. He says, here's why he thought, saw himself that way. He said, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. And some of you know this. Some of you are new at this. In the book of Acts, we have the story of the Apostle Paul. Before he became a Christian, he was public enemy number one for the church. And the book of Acts, and I put the verses there so you can check it out later if you'd like. But in the book of Acts, we're told that the Apostle Paul, in the early days of the church, he would actually go door to door in search of Christians. And when he would find them, he would drag them. That's the term that's used. He would drag them out. Maybe their kids were there, or friends were there. He would drag them out, and he would begin to beat them to the point where they would curse the name of Christ. Now I want you to picture this. Picture beatings. What, what comes to your mind when I say beating? Is it, is it Nazi Germany, concentration camps? Is it Rodney King? It, picture beatings. All right? I want you to see the Apostle Paul with the, 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 the stick in his hand hitting followers of Jesus, blooding followers of Jesus, beating them in the head, kicking them, whatever he did, beating them, and then putting them on trial and then voting for their death and watching them die. Can you imagine what it would be like to be the Apostle Paul? Do you think he never had nightmares of that after he became a follower of Jesus? The blood coming out of people's heads? 
the wounds that he inflicted? Do you think he never... When he says the worst of sinners, do you think he's blowing smoke? No, no, because Paul says, I can't imagine anything worse than beating the followers of Jesus. Beating God's people. Let me ask you something. I don't know your story. I don't know what you're dragging around from your past. I don't know if it's an abortion in 1987. It's a divorce in 99. It's an affair in 2002. I don't know if it's drug abuse. I don't know if it's ripping off your boss. I don't know if you killed someone and no one's ever found out. I don't know what you're dragging around. But the Apostle Paul is saying, whatever it is, it's time to move on. Look at what he says here in verse 16. He says, this is why God chose him. One of the reasons God chose him. He says, for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners... Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience. Isn't that awesome? Unlimited. You put your name in there. What is it you're dragging about that you're so ashamed of from your past? And I want you to write unlimited patience over that sin in your life. Unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe. God chose Paul so we could look and say, if If Jesus would forgive Paul for what he did, okay, okay, maybe he can forgive me too. You see? That's why God chose Paul. Later on in Paul's life, he would write the principle that that became such a key principle for him being successful in his life. It's there in your note sheet, Philippians 3, 13 and 14. The Apostle Paul said, This one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what's ahead. That's why I press on towards a goal. That's the secret of success for you in 2006. You've got to let go of the past, and you press forward to what God has. You see? doesn't matter. You say, but Mike, you don't understand. No, it doesn't matter. It, can, can I speak to you on behalf of Jesus Christ today and say whatever you've done, it doesn't matter? It doesn't matter. Let it go. Years ago, I read a story about a uh, little town in Alabama. I think it's a little town. I've never been there. It's called Enterprise, Alabama. Uh, last night, I had someone come up, and they said, my mom lives in Enterprise, Alabama. I've been there. And in 1919, in Enterprise, Alabama, they, they put up a monument to the Mexican bull weevil. I guess not a lot going on there, but anyway... And the reason was, was because 24 years before, in 1895, there were, the whole county, they only had one cash crop, and it was cotton, weren't diversified. And the Mexican bull weevil came through in 1895 and, and ravaged the whole cotton crop. And so they, they lost everything. And so out of that failure, out of that loss, they, they decided to do life a different way. They said, we've got to do life a different way. This isn't working. And so what they did is they decided to diversify their crops. And one of the crops they picked was peanuts. And in 1919, 24 years later, the peanut crop was so successful that they made more money from that one crop than they used to make over their, all their crops, you know, all, all their cotton. And so they decided, they looked back and they said, wow, that thing that was the worst thing in our life, that huge biggest failure, that biggest flop, that biggest pain, that actually paved the way for our future. And so they built this monument to the Mexican bull weevil. And on the monument, you want to hear what it said? You're like, no. Okay, um, <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you anyway. 
me because I'm just going on by faith. Uh, here we go. Here's what they wrote on the monument. In, in profound appreciation of the boll weevil and what it's done as a herald of prosperity, out of, a, out of a time of struggle and crisis has come new growth and success. Out of adversity has come blessing. You see? And when we, we have Mexican boll weevils that ravage our lives, whether they're by our own choice, we bring them in or they don't, it doesn't make any difference. When we go through times of devastation, God wants to use that time of devastation, whether it's self-imposed or not. He wants to use it to drive us back to Him so we learn how to do life a different way, just like they did, you see? 2,700 years ago, the nation of Israel was in a bad spot. They had disobeyed God for hundreds of years. As a result, his final judgment had finally come. The temple was destroyed. The whole nation was taken away to the land of Babylon where they lived for 50, 60, 70 years. They assumed that God was done with them. They assumed it was over. They assumed they would be backseat believers the rest of their lives. After their amazing rebellion, how could God ever love them again? It was over. And God raised up a prophet by the name of Isaiah and he said, Isaiah, here's my message for the nation. And it's there on your note sheet, the back page, Isaiah 43:18. He says, here's God's message. He says, I want you to forget the former things. Can I fill in the blanks what those former things were? We, we know from the book of Isaiah what was going on in the nation, why God judged them. Former things, blatant sexual immorality, murder, abuse in the courts, abuse of the poor, idolatry, taking their little children and offering them to the god Molech in a fiery furnace. Prostitution running rife. Religious prostitution. These were the sins that sent them into exile. And so when God says, I want you to catch this, forget the former things, that's what he's saying. I want you to forget those things. It's done. It's over. He says, do not dwell on the past because I am doing a new thing. Isn't that awesome? The God that we serve is always up to a new thing. See, Israel thought, you don't want anything to do with us because we messed up so badly. God says, no, I'm just waiting for you to admit you messed up and come back home. I've got new plans. I've got something new. And that's his word to us today at the start of a new year. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. God has something new for your life. And the decision is yours whether you're going to come home and receive it or not. God wants to do something new. But are you ready for change? Are you really? Uh, Are you willing to take some action steps to put a plan together to act on what he's showing you? Hey, and finally, are you willing to let go of the past? I love the way Maria Robinson, she's a writer, she puts it like this on your note sheet. Nobody can go back and start a new beginning, but anyone can start today and make a new ending. Isn't that awesome? Welcome to 2006. Let's pray. God, thank you for what you're doing in our church. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Thank you that you are a God who is always up to something new. Thank you that you are so big on forgetting the past and moving into the future you have. Thank you for your grace, God. We just worship you as a congregation. We thank you that you are who you are and you're not like other gods. (laughs) We thank you, Lightman. We thank you for that.
while our eyes are closed, our heads are bowed, I want to talk to those of you who have never given Jesus Christ the steering wheel of your life. You know the story. You know how he came. You know how he died for your sins. He rose from the dead. You understand all that. But you've never had a point in time where you've turned over the control of your life and you said, Jesus, I want to give you my life. Would you come in and forgive me of my past? Would you send your spirit into my life to change me from the inside out like we've been talking about today? And then would you reserve a spot in eternity for me? You've never had that conversation. You've never had that point in time. I want to give you the chance. What a great way to start the new year, to give your life to Christ. And while our our eyes are closed, our heads bowed, I'm just going to pray a simple prayer. If it's a desire of your heart today to give your life to Christ and pray along with me in your mind and he will hear and answer. Dear Jesus, I want to give you my life today. I ask you to forgive my sins to make me a new person, to send your spirit into my life, to change me from the inside out. I surrender control of my life. I ask you to reserve a spot in heaven with you forever. While our eyes are still closed and our heads bowed, if you just prayed that prayer, I'd love to hear from you. In just a moment, we'll be closing the offering. There'll be a registration card there. If you could write me a note saying, Mike, I prayed that prayer today, or I asked Jesus into my life, or I gave him control of my life, write me a note, something like that. I'll know what it means. I'll pray for you this week, but then I'll also send you a letter with some steps, some growth steps you can take to be part of your growth plan this year. Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for what you're doing. We surrender it to you. We surrender 2006 to you, God. We offer it as a congregation to you right here and right now for your will at Rocky Peak. We're ready to grow in your name. Amen.